World Podcast. Today's episode is an interview with Tony Castricone, voice of UW football and men's basketball. Tony was the first broadcaster to participate in what I hope is a multi-episode series of board broadcasters, where I get to talk to sports broadcasters who suddenly have some extra time on their hands. But in this installment, Tony's talked about his start in sports casting, bringing out of his mid-20s malaise, uh, why he was a good fit at UW, uh, his favorite calls, and much more. Tony is the absolute man and one of those really frustrating people uh, who always speak in complete sentences. And I think Husky fans can all agree that he is a fantastic replacement for the legend Bob Rondo. Couple other things here. Uh, I have a microphone and a very small but um, platform, nonetheless. Uh, so I want to take a chance to talk about the coronavirus. My take on this whole thing is that it really, really sucks, and it's scary to know that we're not even through the thick of it yet. As of March 24th, uh, it's scary to think that until we have a vaccine, we can't really consider this over by any stretch of the imagination. My heart goes out to all those people who are most heavily affected by the virus directly uh, or indirectly via their business or, or what have you. Um, I hope that everyone listening is safe and healthy and staying home and that we all continue to make sacrifices over and over day after day until we beat this uh, because we will. And then I hope that when we beat this, we all emerge from it with a new appreciation for each other and for the many blessings that we have here together uh, in life, and hopefully these next 30 minutes or so with, with Tony provide you a little bit of joy through this bleakness that we have right now. Uh, and last note before Tony starts, that this is the 100th episode of the Boyd Meets World podcast. Um, I started this kind of on a, a whim. Um, I was bored, had some extra time, uh, called Michael Stanton, said let's let's talk about uh, the, the UW football season a few years ago, uh, and it has become... Um, a little bit more than that. So that's that's a cool thing. I wanted to give a huge shout out to all the people who listen to these, uh, to all the guests who have shared their time to help me uh, play out my, my silly little hobby here. Uh, but thank you for listening. If this is your first episode, uh, or if you are my dad and this is your 100th, I appreciate you and I hope that you uh, continue to listen for many more podcasts. Enjoy. I'm here with uh, Tony Castricone, voice of the University of Washington football and basketball uh, broadcast. Tony, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem, Brandon. Good to talk to you. So, Tony, I know you live for, for college athletics. Um, I, my heart goes out to you right now and to all of us uh, big March Madness fans. How are you doing without that, that enormous uh, void in your life? Yeah, I, I think it's been tough for everybody. First of all, you have to view it within perspective, right? I mean, it's not nearly as big a deal as what most people who are affected by what's going on in the world with the coronavirus are dealing with. First and foremost, everyone's health is of utmost importance. Secondly, everybody's, uh, you know, ability to make a living is of mm-hmm. utmost importance. And the struggles with the economy and everything, there are a lot of people suffering in that aspect. Um, and then you start to run into some secondary things where, uh, the things that we love about life when life is good, they've been disrupted and, and you miss those and that kind of sucks. But, um, you know, for us, oops, junkies, March madness is just the best thing. And, uh, it's been kind of cool over the last, I don't know, over the last couple of weeks, I, I really, 
gone into YouTube, uh, which just has endless, endless archives of unbelievable games. And, and sometimes it's not just the finish that's on there, but it's the entire game from the opening tip off, mm-hmm. which is really fascinating to see the way that a certain game will unfold. And so I did do like on, on my own Twitter account at Castrico and I, I am doing a little, um, favorite, you know, March Madness game of the last 40 years available on YouTube bracket right now. So people are like voting as the games try to progress along. And the regions are the eventual champions region, the road to the final four region, the buzzer beater region. And then of course you have to have the Gus Johnson region. That's like, you know, that's just Mr. March Madness right there. Um, but I think, yeah, just going back and watching some of those games and reliving some of those experiences actually had the opportunity to be at a few of those games and just remembering like that yeah like there's there's a reason that we fall in love with this stuff and and sometimes it defies explanation or belief how crazy the end of some of these games are mm-hmm. um and and you, you look at like in 2002 the sweet 16 game between top seed duke and number five seed indiana a game that propels indiana all the way to the national championship game, but they had to upset who was virtually like the number one overall seed in the tournament that year, Duke in the sweet 16. And they led 74 to 70 and time was running out and Duke comes down the floor and Jason Williams chucks up a three pointer. He throws up a prayer and gets fouled (laughs) as it goes in with one second left. And like, Mike Davis, the head coach at Indiana, his reaction to that, how could this possibly happen? How can you foul the shooter on a three when you're up four in the final seconds? And then Williams goes in the line and misses the free throw, and then the tapbacks don't go. Like, just, just games like that that you forget over the years how epic those games were and how improbable some of those endings and those results were. That's why we fall in love with it. So I have enjoyed a few of those games. Um, not too, too many, but, um, other than that, just trying to find ways to stay productive and, and keep growing. And, and I think that's something that we can all be very complacent with during this time. We can all just kind of look at it as like, uh, an extended vacation where, you know, we're quote unquote working from home, but like really trying to push the envelope and find new ways to be creative, find new ways to, to create new content. Um, that's kind of what we're trying to do right now. Yeah, I saw your replacement bracket. That's uh, a great resource for anyone looking to to fill that exact void I was talking about with with those full games, like you were saying. Just the, the the random games. I you know you can just everyone has their favorites. I don't even know if this was one of the ones that came up on your radar because there just are so many. But a few years ago, uh, Xavier played Kansas State in a two three game. Oh yeah, and Dennis Clemente and uh, Two Holloway are just trading thirty five foot threes back and forth. Like those games. Neither of those teams made a Final Four, and you know they're, they're just teams lost to history. But uh, it is right. it is unfortunate that you know just those those little moments that mean so much to those fan bases just we don't get this year. Yeah, yeah, the teams lost to history is a really great point. Um, and that, by the way, no question made the Gus Johnson region. Right. I mean, because when yep. you got just Gus Johnson on the call of a game like that. Uh, that's everything you want in the month of March. You know, for me, one of the biggest ones was I went to Ohio University, mm-hmm. which is a mid-major school out of the Mid-American Conference. And you talk about teams lost to history. Um, 
Ohio in 2012 was a 13 seed. That's right. And I was working on the broadcast that year as the engineer. I was just making sure all the equipment was set up and, and the, the play-by-play talent had everything they needed to do their job. And so uh, I was in Nashville when they beat four-seed Michigan, beat 12-seed South Florida, and then went to St. Louis with the team for their Sweet 16 game as a 13 seed against number one North Carolina. And North Carolina had Kendall Marshall, their fantastic point guard, out with a broken hand. And it gave us just enough hope that maybe, maybe, maybe there was a chance that one of the Blue Bloods and one of the top teams in the country might be able to be pressed to the edge. And you talk about games that are kind of lost to history. North Carolina goes on to the Final Four that year. But in the Sweet 16, they ran into 13-seed Ohio, which claimed a four-point lead in the final minute of regulation. Mm. And then Harrison Barnes, I think, came down and hit a big three. But but uh, even in the final seconds of the game, North Carolina had the ball trying to hold for the last shot in a tie ball game. And then Ohio comes up with a steal. They get it to their star point guard, DJ Cooper, who's racing down the floor against the clock. And he heaves up a three from half court at the horn. And this thing is online and it's like a hair too strong and it rattles out. And then you go to overtime and then North Carolina goes on to win the game in overtime as, as a number one seed should against the 13 and they go to the final four and, and you kind of forget about some of those games, but you talk about just in that moment, an absolutely epic moment for a program like Ohio university, which can only dream of getting to the sweet 16 again in the next 20 years. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's magic. It's pure magic. It's the best reality television or reality radio, whatever you want. And it's why the, the NCAA tournament is the best sporting event in the country, in my opinion. Couldn't agree more, and we could uh, probably chop it up for, for half an hour about uh, the tournament itself. Right. But uh, I want to do a little bit of a rewind in, in your career and, uh, and start at the very beginning and ask you, when the first time you thought that broadcasting was a potential career option? Oh, man. Well, so, like, it's incriminating, and thank goodness my mom doesn't know how to work YouTube, but she's got videos of me at, like, six and seven years old just, you know, doing broadcasting. There's a really weird uh, thing that, like, I had a lot of VHS tapes of of games. Like, I would record games and where a lot of kids would be entertained by, you know, Disney movies or whatever, and I watched my fair share of those, too. I also watched a lot of games and there were certain games that I watched over and over so much that I started to memorize what the play-by-play announcers were saying back and forth to themselves. I remember this one game, Gary Bender and Dick Vermeil were doing the play-by-play and like I had almost verbatim memorized their words, just the way that at age six, seven, eight, how your brain absorbs things like a sponge, you know? And so I was always interested in in that and particularly college sports i love college football and college basketball and so you know i, I really wanted to play but yeah i wasn't th- that good uh i didn't make the basketball team my junior year i didn't even go out to the football team of high school so um i started looking at broadcasting as a major and i went to college declaring that as my broadcast journalism as my major always with kind of the hopes of getting into this and um it's kind of amazing. Like I was always a little intimidated because I, I just thought, man, you look at like growing up as a, as a kid watching the Rose Bowl and seeing Keith Jackson 
uh, call those games and just being like, gosh, I want to be in that seat that he's in so badly, but how does a human being get there? Like, how is that even possible? And then, you know, you just singularly focus on something for 15 years and then you get a, a dream opportunity comes along like the University of Washington and then they happen to have a great head coach like Chris Peterson and they go to the Rose Bowl and then voila, New Year's Day 2019, you wake up and you're calling the Rose Bowl that day. <laughs> and it's just it's just crazy how life works, right? So obviously there's a lot in between being six years old and then being 36 years old and actually calling a Rose Bowl. But um, I just feel, I just feel a incredibly lucky to to have the opportunity to do what I do. But also, b I just feel like I'm doing what I should do. Um, this is just kind of what I've always been interested in, and so um, it's it's it, it it's kind of almost second nature for me. You talk about funny twist of fate. So that that day, January first, twenty nineteen, I was walking around. I had p- people from uh, that I knew that went to Ohio State, and I was walking from tailgates to tailgates to say hi to everybody. And as I'm walking around, I see uh, you and your wife actually walking uh, through, going towards the stadium. And I was this close <laughs> to saying hey and saying hi to you, and then I thought back in my head. Uh, he's a little busy. Uh, he's probably, probably uh, a little, little, little laser focused on, on the game he's about to call. So I, I left you alone there and, uh, it worked out that, that here we are talking. So that's, um, that's, well, that's you should, funny. You should have said hi. Yeah. <laughs> you should have said hi, but man, what an exciting day that was. That oh, was is it, is it just me or do, do the, the colors at the Rose Bowl just pop different than they do anywhere else? Yeah, they really do. And, you know, I, I think it's funny just to go back on something. I mean, look, we love our teams and we, we really, 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 really want them to win. No question about it. And, and I see the people up close, uh, and and I work with the people up close, the players and the coaches who have more invested in winning than anybody. But sometimes you do just have to appreciate the fact that you, you're there, you know, and, and certainly we wish Washington would have had like an onside kick recovery and, you know, a Jake Browning touchdown pass uh, in the tank in those final 42 seconds. But, you know, gosh, just the fact that you're there, you just got to love. And I go back to that Sweet 16 game with Ohio University. You know, when I, I consider my alma mater, the most exciting game in the history of my alma mater is a loss. Yeah, It's that loss. It's it's losing by by eight in overtime against Goliath on on national TV with Steve Kerr and Marv Albert on the call, and and that's okay. Like it like it, it's really okay because mm-hmm. sometimes it really isn't about did you actually have the higher number on the scoreboard at the end of the game. It's about what what did we go through to get there. What life lessons were learned. And how did we celebrate it all together? And gosh, I get goosebumps just talking about it right now. I remember asking my, my wife's dad bought my entire allotment of tickets because he just wanted everybody he could get in his company to go to the Rose Bowl as their holiday party. And I just remember asking our ticket person at UW, I was like, Hey, is there any chance I can get two more? She's like, Tony, they're gone. Like all 28,000, we sold them all. And it's like, God, I just give goosebumps thinking about that. Like the purple, like seeing the purple down in Pasadena, it was awesome. And then like 
You know, I think back, you know, the, the green and white that went to St. Louis, Missouri in the sweet 16. And like, you got to understand, like in January or, or, or scratch that, say in December, when Ohio University is hosting St. Francis, there's 2,500 people there, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's nobody getting together in Athens, Ohio to watch that game. But then you're in St. Louis and there's 10,000 people wearing green and white. And like, you're there and you got a shot. And I, I, I love that about sports. Like, I, I, I know that the diehards like get real locked in on the wins and the losses. And that's awesome. And they should because winning really, really, really matters. But you can't lose sight of like how awesome it is to just have a chance to play the game. And, and I'm so grateful to like, be part of these games i'm so grateful that my first full year on the job we went to the rose bowl and the ncaa tournament in the same season first year in husky history that ever happened and um and now now that there are no games to play now you really feel it right like now now you really feel like gosh just having the games to play it's a really amazing outlet so yeah all all of us sports lovers we really miss it right now and we love the life lessons and, and the, the parallels and everything that, that we can draw from these sporting events. But, but yeah, that, that Rose Bowl experience, that's a bucket lister. And, and there's going to be very little that can top that. Yeah, that's uh, that's great perspective because uh, th- thinking to, to the games you've called this year and just to off the top of my head, the, just the, the head scratcher in Salt Lake City uh, you know, basketball mm-hmm. there, how that game mm-hmm. just crumbled away at the, in the final minutes and how upset we as fans were after that. And now just thinking how I would kill for that to be knowing that exact outcome was about to happen uh, in just a few hours to, to be able to watch that game. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really interesting how that happens, but you know um, I think these sort of things that we're dealing with right now, not just in the country and the world, they're a great reset. They're a great reminder of what really matters of, of where your values should lie, what principles you want to drive, drive your life. And that's why I love working at the University of Washington because we've got an amazing leader in athletics director, Jen Cohen. We got great head coaches, Chris Peterson, now Jimmy Lake, and then Mike Hopkins, just people who really get it, people who love their student athletes, people who are principle centered and who really, really want to not only win, but want to win the right way. And I, I think that's what a lot of this is all about. It's like teaching 18 to 22 year olds. That's how college sports started. It right. started as an opportunity to teach 18 to 22 year olds about teamwork and about life. And then it just so happened people liked it so much that they, they kept showing up and then the ticket prices went up and then it turned into what it is today. But, but at its core, at its real, real core, it's 18 to 22 year olds getting an amazing opportunity to, to work on something together that is so difficult, so hard. The, the goals are so high. And yet we, we get to watch some of, some of these, the rare ones, they really, really excel and they exceed and they succeed even at the highest level. And, and that's what we root for. And that's what we really get behind. So. I, I love college sports, man. It's awesome. I mean, the, the pro game is amazing. But to me, there's there's something so awesome about college sports that uh, in its own unique way that I just 
I, have, you, have you ever been to NFL games and 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 after going to to games at Husky Stadium, feeling like, you know, this is great, but it's a, it's a little more sterile. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a, it's it's scrubbed of like the the marching band and the student section and you know the 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 cheerleaders doing what they do and and how they do it and everything. Like it's it's just different mm-hmm. and. I just I, I think the college game's awesome. It really is. And and I think part of, of the collegiate aspect is is that alumni part of it. And uh yeah. I speaking of alumni and UW, I heard your podcast that you did with with uh Brock Heward and there was a part in it that, that resonated with me, especially um when you were talking about this period of life after college around age, you know, twenty three to twenty six, where you kind of felt stagnant and and that you weren't really growing um at the 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 way that you probably could have at that time i'm 26 myself and i i I really empathize with that idea of you know you have to constantly fight the complacency that you might feel um in your early post collegiate time so how did you how did you bust out of that and and you know keep your laser focus on what you wanted to do and and you know break complacency i think the best thing that ever happened to me was i lost my job and in, in 2010, um, I was laid off and it really pushed me out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. because now all of a sudden, if I wanted to stay in sports casting, I was, I was going to have to leave my hometown. And, um, I, I didn't really know what to do or how to do it, but I knew that I wanted to do it. And so I, and I, I had enough trust in myself that I could figure it out on the fly. And so I went for it. And I didn't allow the fact that I had this setback, which, you know, we could, we could get into all the details, all the dirty details and talk about whether or not it should have happened and shouldn't have happened and all this stuff that none of that really matters. What matters is it did happen. Right. And, and life isn't about what happens to you. It's about how you respond to it. And so, um, I, I think you know, one of my favorite all time books is the seven habits of highly effective people. And I don't know if you've ever read that before, but it's, it's, it, it, it's unbelievable. Like the clarity that it helps give you for, I can see how doing these seven things in this order would lead to great effectiveness, not just in my own life, but in other people's lives. And I was fortunate that a, I was thrust in, I was thrust out of my comfort zone, which really forced me to grow. But then B, like I kind of just accidentally, fortunately, maybe, maybe, maybe thanks to having good parents that, that raised me uh, with, with good sound of principles. Like I kind of just naturally accidentally ended up doing a lot of those seven habits and, and they led me to three part-time jobs in North Carolina and some of those were, were calling high school games and, you know, calling division one women's college basketball. And, um, you know, one thing led to another. What, one of my part-time jobs was I was Bob Rondo's producer yeah. on the Washington Huskies network from North Carolina, playing the commercials, timing out his pregame shows, jumping on, doing scoreboard hits. Very, very like non glamorous job. Like, but I was, I had my foot in the door and. Um, from there, like, I just was able to see enough what the next step could be to take that next step. 
and and to try to do it proactively and and with hunger and enthusiasm and and hope that it would lead where I wanted it to lead. And I'm fortunate that it did. And I certainly don't want to act like I did it all myself. Like there were a lot of fortunate breaks that that occurred and there were relationships that were built with people that helped me in immense ways that I would never be where I am today without those people. But I think, I think step one was I had to get out of my comfort zone Mm -hmm. and I was thrust there and, and, but I also had the option to, to go home and to not continue um, in my career. And I didn't do that. And I'm really, really glad I did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, my girlfriend is a, is a disciple of seven habits of, of highly effective people. So that she's been bugging me about reading that for, for a long time. So now, now that it's corroborated, totally I got to get it. Um, yeah, totally should. And then I think, I think your, your journey, you know, the, the 40 day tour and your hustle is, is well documented. I think you're, you're a great testament to luck is the residue of hard work, um, in, in that mentality. But I, going back to Rondo and your connection with him and, you know, he, you're, he's tossing it to you for scoreboard updates and you're hearing him from afar. What's, mm-hmm. uh, from a broadcaster's perspective, we all love Bob Rondo, touchdown Washington, mm-hmm. the, the comfort that he brought us on, on Saturdays and, um, through through basketball games, but from a from a nerdy broadcaster perspective, what about him uh, makes him such a titan in that industry? Well, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, um, you know, I I think his his body of work speaks for itself. Just in the fact that I mean, he was 11 times the Washington State Sportscaster of the Year, so his peers agreed that. Uh, the way that he did what he did, it was at another level. Um, secondly, you know, and I mean, Chris Schenkel award winner, which is a, a broadcaster's award, uh, given out by the college football hall of fame. Like, I mean, he's, he's unbelievably elitely talented and, and driven, uh, not just talent, but like his laser focus on what his standard was and trying to meet and exceed it. It was just elite. So there's that. But also, I think, like, um, once you kind of become institutionalized, and I mean that in a very good way, you know, <laughs> that term could, could be uh, used in multiple ways. But, like, once you've kind of been around a place a certain amount of time, there's that tipping point where it's like you, you almost kind of you, you can't separate the person from the place. Like you, you just can't remember a time where it wasn't that person. Right. right. And, and then they just naturally carry with them all the memories, uh, and, and, and the experience of having lived through those memories with the fan base because they were there that whole time. And I think not only did he live to that point and work to that point, but he worked well past that point. Like, and so that is, and, and doing that in an ever-changing landscape takes great agility and ability to adapt and grow and all those things. And so all of that to me is just, um, you know, it's why he, he was as great as he was calling games. I, I The thing that I just remember was like when 
I was assigned the University of Washington to work with as a studio producer. It was one of about 50 schools that I could have worked with. Mm-hmm. And when I got UW, I was nervous because I was like, oh, man, like I got to work with Rondo, who's like one of the top titans in the college sports play by play industry. And it's like, what if like I play the commercial break wrong or what if I leave his microphone down or something like what? Like I was scared to death running that board for the first game against BYU, but he's also a really great guy. Like he demanded a lot and he had really high standards and he made sure you would live up to those standards the same way he planned on living up to those standards. But he also was a really great guy. And I remember joking with him down the line during commercial breaks I remember, um, you know, uh, off the air asking him for some advice and asking him, sending him some audio of a, of a, of a college game that I called and asking him for some critique. And he's just a great guy. And so I think all those things combined to kind of come together, uh, as they do in a lot of people who are uber successful. Um, they, they kind of have the whole package, you know, and, and, and that's what I think of when I think of Bob Rondo, but, but on the air, um, great great vocabulary and ability to write and an ability to write on the fly which is just so difficult to do uh with a great voice great delivery and um yeah yeah i just think of him like when i think of husky football and basketball i I think of him there's a there's a pretty good writing on the fly moment early in your career as a as a UW basketball broadcaster with the the dominant green shot um, <laughs> coming from the Jalen Noel just absolute uh, fly swatter from DeAndre Ayton was that kind of your your welcome to Montlake moment of just just the thrill and being a part of a moment like that? Yeah, I, that was unbelievable and. It was so, so, so good. I know I, I use the term unbelievable a lot. I overuse <laughs> it. Um, but, but truly there are some of those moments where like, I think Jason, Ham- I think after the call was finished, I think Jason Hamilton said, did that just happen? Because I think where we were, I think that that shot going in, that was the high water mark of that season. Like we were off to a two and two start. And then we played a, a series of low majors uh, to get to six and two. And then we had the game at Kansas. And that was, that was to me, like my, my introduction to like what Husky basketball was going to be that year, that win at Kansas where Washington, not just beat the second ranked team in the country, but thoroughly dominated them. Yeah. That was an awesome night. And you love doing it on the road too, because there's this togetherness of like, I can't tell you how cool it is to like go on the bus after a game like that. And everybody's like just laughing and shouting. And like, that's just, that's just one of the cool experiences that you'll ever have. But, but then to do it at home and to do it with the start, the conference play that we had, it would open the year, uh, the league season at USC and knocked off the Trojans at the Galen center who were good that year and continued to win games, but it was the win against Arizona that was like, holy smokes, this team is now 17-6. and six. This team just beat the ninth-ranked team in the country. They've already beat number two, Kansas. Like, this team, after going 9-22 and 22 last year, 2-16 and 16 in the league, 
like is is one of the great Cinderella stories of of Pac-12 basketball this decade. Yeah, and it was it was all coming together, and you know then they hit a rough patch. They still made the NIT, but that moment I'm never going to forget. And it was not just because of there was a buzzer beater that went in. Because I've done a couple of games that had buzzer beaters before, and they're exceedingly fun. But that one was really special with a group of guys that it hadn't been proven that they could win, but they just believed, and they had Goliath in town. Arizona came into town having won 16 of the last 17 games heading into that game. And they were number nine in the country, and there was a blackout in the arena. Everybody had the Tougher Together shirts, 10,000 sellout. And when that ball dropped, it was just pandemonium. And um, one of my all-time favorite sports moments, Dominic Green, we salute you. That was awesome. Ten seconds left, one high, four low. Iso Jalen Noel, seven seconds left on the clock. Here he goes against Alkins with four to play. Makes a move to the rim, rejected by Aiden. Green for three. Swishes it at the buzzer, and the Huskies beat number nine Arizona, seventy-eight to seventy-five. That was awesome for a lot of. I mean, the the Goliath part of it, even just looking at, at DeAndre Ayton versus Noah Dickerson, and just the the disparity in, in size there. Yeah. And then you look at the box score afterwards, and you would have had trouble guessing who was the seven footer is going to be the first overall pick in the draft that day. Uh, yeah, that was that was an awesome moment, and uh, I'm sure really cool for you to to um you know be a part of a moment like that and and that's that's why you chose to come out here um and, yeah. and so i will uh ask i think one more or two more questions here before before we get into the rapid fire part of this and and part of that i mean you chose the job for for moments like that and hoping that you'd be a part of it but um i i know from everything i've heard about the interview process for you getting this position filling bob rondo's shoes that that fit was just as important as demo tape and um, you know, highlight reel and things like that. So I'm curious what, what from your perspective was a good fit about UW and then why do you think you were a good fit for, for that athletic department? Well, for me, I think uh, what's attractive about UW kind of speaks for itself um, because I've, I've worked with a lot of different colleges at this point in, in a bunch of different capacities. And when you combine um, the world-class city of Seattle with the facilities that they have, just this iconic basketball arena and then Husky Stadium with the cantilever roofs right over top of, of Lake Washington and the greatest setting in college football, you've got the tradition. Washington's won two national championships. You could argue more in football and in basketball. Um, they're set up to, to – put together runs that I think they could really, really be good in the, um, you know, and, and get to a second final four. I mean, they, they haven't been since 53, but, but I really believe that Mike Hopkins is the kind of coach that can get this program back to the final four. So, um, you know, you've got the great travel in the PAC 12. Um, my wife's on the West coast, you know, she's from Southern California. So there's just a lot of things that, that make you duh. And, and, also, this might not be a big deal to everybody, but I appreciate the fact that the UW is a great academic institution. And I, I really think that that's 
an awesome part about the fact that, you know, the, the student athletes, uh, cumulative GPA is always well over 3.0 at the UW. Um, you know, I just think that it's a place that tries to do things the right way. And so that was what was appealing to me. What made me a good fit, uh, was I, I think that a maybe, maybe like, I want to say that I just really love college sports and I love doing this so much. And I think that enthusiasm kind of bleeds over on the air and it kind of bleeds uh, through when I, I give public speeches or I MC events or whatever. But, but I think that enthusiasm also, like it's real. It's not manufactured. It's me. I just love this stuff. And I think that enthusiasm was, was maybe felt uh, on the other end um, that, that, I was going to come in and be really passionate about it. Um, but also, you know, we're, we're kind of, um, venturing into, uh, a new frontier and and maybe even in some ways a wild west as to how this stuff is going to be covered and, you know, podcasting and social media and, and games. I think more listeners probably stream the games now than actually listen over a radio. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and now, now we're, kind of getting into this space where yeah like if bill walton is not your cup of tea we have the digital capacity that you could like pause your dvr you can pop up our game on a stream and you can sync it up and you can listen along so like i think just my experience working in all those other areas uh as a as someone who had a little bit of multimedia um production and executive background um i think uh, I think they were looking for somebody with a little bit of that. And then, um, and then just my desire to be here for a long time, you know, I mean, I, I, I really, really want to be. And so, um, I think those things, you know, kind of made us a, a really good fit. Yeah. That was one thing I noticed uh, right away when you took the, the job is that opening up of, of the, the, the podcast part of it and just the, how, how, it seemed like the hire and, and the, the change in, in strategy really was was with the modern fan in, in, in mind. And I think you've done a great job with that. And, and the podcast is um, is a great testament to that, uh, both your own and the Go Huskies podcast. So uh, I'm glad that's going and, and happy to have you on board because, um, you know, it's 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 an important part. I mean, in, in the same city, you have the uh, the GM of a, of a professional baseball team doing a regular podcast. You know, it's it's yeah, um, it's. Right. It's uh, it's the day. It's you know, it's kind of how things go now. But uh, last question before we do, uh, you know, the quick rapid fire segment here. You, uh, I know you're all purple now, but I saw the the Ohio area code for this. How excited are you to call a uh, marquee non-conference game in Husky Stadium against Michigan? Hopefully on Labor <laughs> Day weekend. Well, God, I mean, there's so many reasons we hope that game happens, right. um, and. And, you know, first and foremost, there's just there's just a lot of people whose livelihood uh, kind of depends on it. Right. And yeah. and it's a it's a rare window, uh, 18 to 22. It's a rare opportunity for student athletes to be able to have that experience. That, that's a fast four years of your life that blows right by and you don't want to miss any part of it. And so I, I'm, I'm sick for the student athletes that are missing out on March Madness and baseball and softball and rowing and everything. I mean, it's just, it's, it's horrible. But also, 
I think our community needs it. I think I think it'd be awesome just to get 70,000 people to, to be able to come together. You know, right now we're not supposed to have meetings of more than 10. Well, you know, how awesome would it be to have a meeting of more than 70,000 for the first time in, you know, too long getting together with two just blue blood programs, one from the West Coast, one from 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 the Midwest. Uh, with, with history against each other in the Rose Bowl. I, I just think that would be so cool. Um, I know a lot of people at the University of Michigan and I got a lot of respect for them. In a lot of ways, I feel like Michigan is the UW of the Big Ten. Um, you know, I, I think they've got, you know, kind of a major market with Detroit there and, and they're really into the academic side and they've got great tradition and they've got, you know, the colors and the fight song and the everything, you know, like, so I look at Michigan with the utmost respect and um, I actually called a few basketball games for Michigan early in my career on a fill-in mm-hmm. basis. So um, one of my best friends in the world is the, is the basketball announcer at the University of Michigan. So uh, I've got a lot of ties there, uh, a lot of connections. And man, I hope and pray uh, for so many different reasons, economic, health, um, for the sport, for the everything that, that we're able to play football on September 5th at Husky Stadium. Absolutely. Uh, all right, let's get into the quick ones here. Uh, I've taken way too much of your time so far, so uh, if, no you know, problem. if you, if you got to go cu- uh, cut the cord on me here, but uh, you're, you're a big reader. You talk about it a lot on, on your podcast of, of what, what you got um, uh, currently reading. What is, what is your current book? The Obstacle is the Way. Deal. Uh, what do you what do you like about calling a football game over a basketball game and vice versa? I like that a football game is a day long celebration. I love that a basketball game is probably going to be close with two minutes to go. You can't say Dom Green. That's that's out. We we, we covered that one. What's your favorite call as a as a UW broadcaster? Byron Murphy pick six. Ooh. Here we are, tied at three, late third quarter. Snap to Shelley, play action, throws off to the right, and it's caught. Oh, popped out! Intercepted! Up the left sideline, Byron Murphy brings it back across the 30, the 20, Byron Murphy into the end zone! Touchdown, Washington! The first pick six of the season for the Dogs! Yes, that was that was uh, at a very tense point in that game, in, in the Utah Pac-12 championship game. Uh, what is the biggest on-air gaffe in your career? <laughs> um, a lot of people in the course of their career have described the two-point bucket as a deuce. Uh-huh. And a lot of people have described the dunk as a flush. And one time I said he flushes on the deuce. <laughs> I'm sure you're not alone in that in that fraternity. <laughs> people have said that. Uh, that's great. Um if if you're writing the the Tony Cashacone Broadcasters Bible, what are what is the let's just say what's the first two or three commandments of of that? Always say the time and the score, and never leave the listener asking questions. Well done. Uh, yeah, those those are phenomenal. Um, that's that's it for me. Those those are great. Um, I I can't read to read the obstacle is the way and and. Uh, Try not to, too hard to track down the uh, the flushing of the deuce call somewhere, but <laughs> uh, uh, well, again, thank you so much for doing this, Tony. I, I hope you and your family stay safe. Um, you're so generous with your time, and uh, I can't wait to hear you again come fall. 
Yeah, stay in touch, Brandon. It was uh, it was a pleasure talking with you, and uh, and uh, obviously best wishes to you and your family as well. Absolutely, you can find him at Castrocone on Twitter. Again, thank you, Tony. Too complex. Too complex. Too complex. Too complex. Too complex. Too complex.